Hello, and welcome to New Jersey is the World. Hi, it's Chris Gathered. Welcome to New Jersey is the World. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting this project. Thank you to everybody who's been signing up for the Patreon, who's been buying t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash chrisgethard. It's really, truly appreciated that you have our backs. Now, hey, if you uh, listened to last week's episode, it was all about shopping, right? And I called it, you know, some of these prices are insane. Our prices are insane, and many an astute person goes, that's a reference to Crazy Eddie. You mentioned Crazy Eddie. Where's Crazy Eddie? Well, you guys need to know me by now, man. I'm always trying to stay a step ahead of the game. I'm making myself laugh with this cat and mouse hosting game. Crazy Eddie will come up this episode. This episode is about local media. This is the stuff you used to see on TV and hear on the radio that we grew up with in North Jersey in our era. And I got to say, maybe more than any other episode we have done thus far, there are going to be people who grew up in different sections of the state who I want to hear all about your weird commercials, your weird hyper-local TV, your weird broadcasters that meant something to you. And there's going to be people who grew up in different decades than we did. People who grew up in the 60s and 70s who remember different people we never got to know. People who grew up in the late 90s uh, through the 2000s who know stuff we don't. Please, I can see this one being ripe for follow-up episodes. 973-780-4660. You leave a voicemail. You let us know your reactions, both to the stuff we're talking about, which this is a nostalgia fest. This is just a bold-faced nostalgia fest. So if you remember these things, we want to hear all about it. And if there's other things we missed, either your region, your era, please let us know. Because we're not trying to be exclusive North Jersey guys, okay? We want this to be the starting point, the springboard. So get in on it. Last thing I'm going to say is if you are on our Patreon, patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. This episode is coming out on the 22nd of June, 2021. On the 24th, we are holding a live stream. We are playing for the first time ever, New Jersey, the role playing game. This is an RPG in the vein of Dungeons and Dragons, you know, roll the dice, get in your battles. It was designed by Mike D's brother, Fran. It's going to be played by the Gagoots, and you can watch the first ever gaming session happen. The character descriptions we've been emailing around are so insane already that I think this is going to be a hilarious train wreck of a time, and I hope you come enjoy it with us. And if you are a subscriber at the Turnpike tier, the $10 tier, the Patreon, you might show up as one of the characters that passes through this world. You might hear your name get dropped in there and not even know it's coming. So go check that out patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world on the 24th we'll see you live you can watch the archives if you miss it live it's going to be so fun it's going to be the next evolution in this idiotic tribute to New Jersey that this whole project is so check it out enjoy it and enjoy this episode where we talk about all the crazy shit that used to hit the airwaves when we were growing up there must be something in the water in West Orange I preach such avant-garde kids are going to start shit 
In parks where we spit arson and sparks flips Essex County, America's armpit Carnival Oh boy, that flea market, I bought a crossbow there And I imagine it was sort of a two Roman legions charging at each other uh, Intertown fighting Some people have been there in the middle of the night to whip pumas with belts The last time I got in a fist fight, I threw a carton of Clinton's orangeade at a man's face I'm gonna take you to this terrible crime-ridden city and then I'm gonna pull my pants what? down on it No, I've never had a hoagie in my life Or a grinder This is like a weird vortex that doesn't apply to the laws of time and space as I know <laughs>
wrote articles about bake sales and <laughs> really hard hitting <laughs> things that that happened in the school. You know, once a year, a kid would would score an interview with the super. I was going to call him the superintendent of schools, the superintendent <laughs> of schools, and uh, ask one or two hard hitting questions like. You know, why can't we have three hours of lunch every day? Things like that. And then if you were in the journalism program for two years, you could apply for your junior and senior year to join the television station. And so the television station was a class, but it also was an actual television station, a local public access television station. And you would, we would, they had a news program with anchors and other random shows. And so you would make these as part of it and you would learn how to use a camera and be a producer and be a, a writer for TV journalism. And yeah, Chris and I were, were both part of this. And I know Nick wasn't officially part of it, but often participated in many of the things that we made for, for TV 36. Because we have to be clear about something. When we say that the high school kids ran it. There was literally no other programming on this network. It would be most hours of the day. It would just be like a still image and it would be like, okay, snow removal is going to work like this, this year. And then that would be up there for five seconds. And then the next one would be like, so the next board of education meetings at this date or time, uh, you know, and then the next one would come up and it would just be like town announcements. The only actual programming was completely driven by just the manic whims of high school children. So when Mike D says Nick was a big part of it, it was basically whoever had these cameras, if you were motivated, they would let you do whatever you wanted. So it would really just be your friend group would become like weird local celebrities because people watched it. Like I, I know that we'd put crazy stuff up and adults in town would come up to me and be like, that was really funny, that thing you did, man. And I'm like, oh, people are watching this. And it was for at least a handful. Like, we also got Verona's and Cedar Grove's and Montclair's. Like, you got a number of towns. People were seeing this. My sister was five years older than me. And um, I remember watching it. And, you know, she was like in the 80s. So it was uh, it was interesting. It That format always carried through. And, like, they were very, like, freeform and trusting of the students, like you're saying. But it always was like... Even the kids back then were doing like funny, ridiculous shit. And it was like TV 36 was actually like probably one of the more entertaining towns, like, uh, you know, local TVs that you'd want to watch. I mean, you're not watching Verona public access, you know. Well, there is there's such a long tradition, I think, you know, even in the theme song to this show done by GDP. If you hear the clip we pick, it's there must be something in the water in West Orange that makes all these avant-garde kids looking to start shit. And there's something true about that of like, if you give us permission to have a platform, West Orange kids will make it weird. I know that uh, like my class, uh, my friends, I cannot claim that I spearheaded this. They did like a documentary about how they were trying to start a crew team in West Orange and, and it's Mr. Peterson, the Dean was like acting in it, yelling at us. Like there's no bodies of water. We're like, let us go in Degden Pond. He's like, it's tiny. And it went on and on, but like everyone watched it. Uh, I know there might be during your era, you guys did like a big expose on the carnival. Um, 
I also know you, I think you spearheaded an infamous clip of a night in the life of a teenager from West Orange, New Jersey. That was literally just oh God. what seemed like a very, very long amount of time. That was just you and your friends driving around. Getting Slurpees. It was like a, it, it was a, <laughs> almost a 10 minute version of Dazed and Confused done extremely poorly. And that you could go into this equipment cage and sign out you news-grade professional equipment for the weekend, another bad idea that adults thought was okay. And this was at a time when now you can take a video on anything, but back then professional video cameras were massive and they had giant batteries. The only place you really see those things now is legitimate news stations that have a satellite truck. So we would drive around town with all these things and we ended up creating this piece and, and we got in a bit of trouble because like you were saying, Chris, a lot of people watch this and there wasn't anything outwardly criminal in this, but I think quite a few conservative viewers of TV 36 called up the school and complained that they thought that we were misbehaving and specifically one shot, which we got by hanging out of the window of someone's car (laughs) and holding this $25,000 television camera out next to the wheel well driving around town. Someone called up and said, I work in TV. How, how did they get that shot? Ask those kids how they did that. Because clearly he knew it was extremely dangerous. It, I, I'll never forget my favorite clip in that was a an extended interview that was just you guys running into, if I remember how to pronounce your name, I think it was Lauren Lubisich and Katie Graham and it was just you guys running into them at the 7-Eleven in Livingston and you're, and just going like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, buying gum. And somehow that conversation stretched into like a solid three minutes of television. Our whole town was forced to watch. Uh, I do want to say, too, there were three people who ran it. <clears throat> There's a guy, well, we won't name names. There's a guy whose last name started with K, who I always thought was a generally well-natured and pretty funny guy. A uh, teacher whose last name started with M who, uh, again, I think students loved him. I always felt like he was a little too intent uh, being cool. One of the kids think he was cool personally. And then there was this guy whose name, I'll say his first name, not his last name, a very common first name. His name was Dave. And he was a younger guy. He wasn't an actual teacher in our school. His whole job was just to be the assistant on AV. So the other two teachers I mentioned, they taught other classes in the school curriculum. This guy just kind of like checked the equipment in and out and showed you how the editing decks worked. And he was a, a, a nice guy. He had a very 80s ponytail and a mustache. Like a mullet. But he was kind of known to be a little strange. And this was verified during an infamous incident that Mike D, I think you were present for. We were, he, he was a really nice guy and he was technically extremely capable, but he was a strange dude. And one night we were doing the teenage drive around thing and we were driving and we, I think we were by Seven Eleven in another town and we pull in and someone comes running out from behind the dumpster in a monster mask. We're like, Oh my God. And we start freaking out and it's a really big guy. And then he says, Oh wait, Hey, I know you guys. And he takes off the mask and it's him. It's the guy who runs the <laughs> AV teacher. program. Yeah, who's a teacher, basically. And 
<laughs> on a, a Wednesday night, he's hanging out behind a 7-Eleven dumpster with a monster mask on waiting to scare people. But that is how he probably he, had like cameras set up. He probably you know? did have cameras set up, but that's crazy. He, <laughs> that was how he spent his free time was hiding behind a dumpster. Now we have to talk about something that actually was, I got to say pretty formative for me. So you got to keep in mind when you guys were in your junior high school, I think that means I was in eighth grade and my brother was bringing me around a little bit, but not much. And I was a child. Like I was in eighth grade, so already so much younger than you guys. And I looked like I was probably in fourth grade, legitimately. It was a sad <laughs> level of late bloomer. It was bad. I didn't have pubic hair until my junior year. It's worse than you think. I sent. I, I recently sent you a, a picture of this event, and I was shocked at how shocked. young you looked. Shocked. And let me say this, between the driving around special and the thing we're about to talk about, we actually have those. And what we can do is if you are a, if you're signed up at our Patreon, uh, we, we can do a group watch of those and we can do like a Q and a section session. So we'll do that. Once this episode's posted, we'll figure out how to watch it all at the same time, do a watch along. Um, and what we are talking about here is the first time I was ever on television, it was a thing Mike D put together called Take It East. Take It East. And Take it, east. it was ostensibly like your version of the Letterman show, but so, so weird. I don't... So weird. I, I had this idea that I... We talked a bunch about fanzines and <laughs> that, that whole thing. And I had this idea that, well, we have access to this television station. Wouldn't it be really cool if we made... A, a video version of a fanzine and we could have bands and we could have our friends do skits and, and different comedy things. And I would be a really poor bootleg David Letterman hosting this thing. And for months and months, I lobbied the teacher who is in charge of this. And he was just like, no way. Um, you're out of your mind. If you think this can happen, because I mean, to be fair, I had, I had been in trouble for doing <laughs> pranks and, and other things in school multiple times, like in, in, in serious trouble in school. So I didn't have the best reputation for having free reign. And finally I convinced him and he's like, okay, I'm going to let you do this thing, but I'm going to have to come and sort of supervise it. So we come up with the, this idea for this show called Take It East. And we set it up in the, in the library of the school and, we have a desk. It was on a weekend, right? It was on a Saturday, yeah. And, and I think <laughs> to to that teacher's credit, who was a very, very cool guy, big Mannheim steamroller fan, if I remember. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that <laughs> random fact about him, um, who are sort of like a, a jazz fusion band. Um, so it, we, he agrees to come in on his own time on a Saturday. <laughs> We set up this whole set. We we have a desk with a green screen behind us, which I know they're not called green screens anymore, but at the time they were. We have the bust of Thomas Edison wearing a World War One army helmet that Nick brought. <laughs> and we have a band come in called Peep Show from Nutley. They're the entertainment. And we start yes. rolling this show. And Chris and his brother Greg... Right, you you put on you guys put on a guinea tea fashion show like a like a drifter fashion show was was your your skit, and then I showed up and no one none of you guys really knew me at that time, and I just started mumbling the words "got no teeth," and 
I don't think the show, if I remember right, I don't know that they ever actually put the show on TV 36, maybe once or twice, but you started distributing copies. And for years, when I'm saying years, I mean, literally, I would go to punk shows and punk kids would come up to me and just start yelling, got no teeth. Cause this thing started being like traded amongst the North Jersey punk scene. Oh my gosh. They, I think it was aired once and this teacher sadly got a lot of heat from the administration of the school. It was completely my fault. And they, they only showed it one time. And then so we started passing it around like it was was a zine. Um, but you, Chris, you and Greg were the main focus of the show. Basically, the show starts I, – I actually, I have a sidekick on the show, our, our friend Nipsey. So Nipsey and I are sitting at a desk together. I give a brief, not that funny monologue. Then we, you, you and your brother come out and start to I bring on your brother, and he says that he's an expert on drifters and carnival workers. He comes on and talks about drifters and carnival workers. Then we do a guinea tea fashion show, which is where you appear and say, got no teeth again and again. And it's, it's just, everybody was just confused. Uh, Nick, I'm actually going to show on a screen grab the picture that Mike D sent me. Mike, I thank you for not sending this out to our group thread <laughs> because you knew it, there, it potentially could have really caused a lot of trouble. But I will, sh- I will share it now with you, Nick, so you can react. And again, everybody listening, okay. join our Patreon. When this episode comes out, we're going to do an event where we do live stream, a live watch along with all three of us. Nick, though, oh you, can, you can react. <laughs> Oh Lord, Jesus! That, I am what twelve? Uh, that means I'm twelve or thirteen in the picture. I you're don't know. At, you look like Chunk I was from the Goonies, grade. except someone hit you with a shrinking ray. Your brother looks even scarier. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Your brother looks terrifying. You look hardy there. I, yeah, I had a little bit of. I mean, it's all, literal baby fat. It's actual baby fat. Yeah, like and then, yeah, I'm like that's crazy. Wow. So remember, everybody, sign up on the Patreon for the watch along. Can't wait. That's our dabblings in local media. Now let's get into the stuff everybody's going to remember, the TV we grew up with. I mean, first things first, we mention them all the time. We're not going to dwell on them too much, but the king of local television, Uncle Floyd. If you haven't watched the show, track it down. The Fairfield Flea Market was his big... Advert is big uh, sponsor. The, everything about it was crazy. The Wild West City commercials. I, this is more mentions of Uncle Floyd per capita than any podcast in history. Yeah. And Nick, I know you're probably one of his most ardent fans. Oh man, I love him. Like I don't have to, you know, I won't go down that road. But <laughs> no, he's a he's a local legend. I, I mean, and and beyond. I think like just a cult legend kind of and our i would say our actual dream guest i would actually say more than oh my gosh i i I would argue i don't know as far especially as far as local tv goes uncle floyd i mean he had his own like he would rent time on those upper uhf style stations that was like so groundbreaking then you know it was just like wild stuff way yeah nick if we could get springsteen or uncle floyd but we could only get one who would you pick oh uncle floyd definitely I know that sounds crazy, but well, you know what? I could probably beat Uncle Floyd on my own somehow. But I just had to go with Bruce Springsteen on that. No, you, you just drive down Highway Nine and you slash your own tire, and and Springsteen will appear to help you. So it'll work. Uh, there was other weird stuff in those upper channels. I want to give a shout out. There was a very very weird homemade sketch show called Egg TV that I stumbled upon. Um, they have some some sketches up. 
on YouTube from the old days. That was a weird one. You'd find like weird wrestling leagues from North Carolina on those upper upper tier TVs. So oh, I still love UHF. That's a whole conversation in and of itself with UHF. But I feel like the place we need to start, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s in the New York area, is Channel 9, WWOR. Hello, Astarn. Straight out of the swamps of Sea Caucus. Coming to you. Nine, Nine Broadcast <laughs> Plaza. Nine BP, baby. So much of my favorite television <laughs> to this day was filmed at a place called Nine Broadcast Plaza in Secaucus, New Jersey. I just found out they tore down Nine Broadcast Plaza in 2019. I'm telling you for real, when my TV show went to cable, I try, I begged them to go rent Nine Broadcast Plaza so we could uh, tore down. film it there. No luck. It was Channel 9. You look back on it. It was it was truly crazy. It was truly crazy. It's insane. It, 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 the fact that we were not just us, all all children of the greater New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area were watching these shows morning and night because there was a morning slate of shows and then an afternoon and an evening slate of shows. They're absolutely insane. I mean, I I went back and pulled up a few things, some old <laughs> Richard Bay shows, some old Morton Downey Jr. shows. Oh, They're so really good. crazy. The Richard Bay show was insane. I would Yeah, that was a great show. It was I I would say that that actually invented reality TV as we know it now, and that was just our local TV that everyone watched every day. It's like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's Well, they allowed Howard Stern to go on there too. I mean, remember that was like uh, insane. The Howard Stern a lot of you out there might remember that Howard Stern show from E Television that was just broadcasting the 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 radio broadcasts, just filming them. He had a show on Channel Nine that was only local. I think I don't know that it went national. I think it was just on Channel Nine. Yeah, I'm not sure how that worked out. You look up the clips; it's 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 truly insane. I mean, they would play Howie Weird Squares where they'd play like Hollywood Scares, and the people they knew were going to flip out and try to leave. They'd put them at the top and pull the ladders away so they couldn't leave. Like it's, it's a wild show. It's wild. Yeah. Richard Bay. I mean, that show, I feel like that flew under the radar. You know, it was like Jerry Springer, but 10 times trashier. And that says a lot. My favorite one is they would take two topics. One that, that I remember is preppies versus guidettes. And they would treat them like they were real important topics to society, that these were things people needed to have a serious debate about. And what would actually happen is you would have a stage and there would be five or six preppies on one side and five or six guidos and guidettes on the other. And they would just scream at each other for an hour. And that was the entire show. And every type of of insult you would imagine. I mean, you could never have the Richard Bay show broadcast now. I mean, it would not not fly during the day. He like was kind of like a normal news person. Like I think he did like the morning show too for some reason. Like you know what I mean? But like then he would do yes. Then he would do those shows, and it would be like that's right. You know, it, was, it was like kind of funny. Like I don't know if you took like the most exploitative episode of Geraldo when Donahue would you know Donahue was sometimes like more serious, and then he just got so like pandering and exploitative. Jerry Springer could outdo Bay occasionally. By and large, Richard Bay was hands down that show was the grossest of that era of sensationalistic daytime talk shows. He was the first. He, he was he before Martin Downey Jr. Well, I think they're different. So yeah, 
the, the Richard Bay show was the vibe would always be like, I have a secret to tell you. And, you know, it would always be the same thing where they'd have a person like, oh, I met this person, you know, on a phone chat line, on a one nine hundred line and I'm in love with them. And then they bring out the person and the other person, you know, says that. I, I'm not who I appear to be or, or something like that. Whereas Morgan Downey Jr. was just like a, a awful, like, <laughs> like scumbag. I mean, that was his whole vibe. He was just like smoked cigarettes while, while hosting doing the show. show, right? That was the best. Oh my God. Chain smoked through the whole thing. And would routinely like get up in guests' faces and push them and like bait fist fights and stuff. And point and spitting. It was wild. The big podium with his mouth on it. Well, and he also <laughs> perpetrated one of the most awful New Jersey scandals, which is he went into a stall at Newark Airport and claimed that he was assaulted and had his head shaved by activists. <laughs> and eventually this was of course oh, proven yeah. to be false. But he, he was yeah. he was like a proto Rush Limbaugh. Like a t like a scummier proto Rush Limbaugh. Whereas Richard Bay, you knew like Hey guys, I'm just doing this to keep myself in in block color <laughs> monotone shirts. Like I don't really believe any of this. Where Morton Downey Jr. I think actually had a his own awful agenda to push. You know how what I would say, Mike, when you said Rush Limbaugh, I go, yeah, but I would say it was like if you mixed if it was it was like seventy percent Rush Limbaugh, thirty percent Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> That's how I would dis define Morton Downey Jr. Just like I'm gonna do fucked up shit just to do it. Fuck you. I'll get in your face, motherfucker. I'll spit in your eye. It was wild. Now, Mike, y you always do a great job of like tracking down source information. I see here uh, two things. First of all, he had the Ramones on, but I have not watched this clip. What happened with the Ramones? Who I think are. It definitely, in my opinion, one of the greatest bands of all time. I think that's a shared opinion amongst our our crew. I go back and forth, but they're usually they land in my top spot of all time favorite bands. Sometimes I I go back and forth. No, definitely, definitely number one most fun band. Uh, no question. I yeah. He he had the he had the Ramones on the show, and and at that point in the the early 90s you know the Ramones were successful they had been touring and putting out records since the the late 70s and basically he's just mocking the Ramones for for how they look and that they're he's and that they're punks you know he's treating them as if they're you know 16 year old high school kids with mohawks I don't think he quite got that they like actually were, were a successful band at this point and is I'm seeing also you found that Al Sharpton was knocked unconscious on the Morton Downey Jr. show? By Ron Innes. Oh, yeah. The big, like... Yeah, it was a huge thing. They had, like, the big Nazi uh, scandal. Yep. Big fight between uh, between Al Sharpton and, and Ron Innes. People were getting hit with, like, flagpoles and stuff like that. And I always remember, I was a kid, and I was at my grandparents'... Oh, was that Geraldo? What, he had his own separate <laughs> scandal. I That was that was a different Nazi show. That's I was I watching Morton Downey Jr. I was at my grandmother's, and my uncle walked in and he's like, Mike, let me talk to you. He's like, I'd prefer you watch several hours of hardcore pornography each day rather than you watch Morton Downey Jr. <laughs> and I'll never forget that he just was like, how old were you? I was probably 11 or 12. 
<laughs> That's how I remember it. So I'll never forget. And I was like, I think I know what pornography is. Like, I'm pretty sure by this age. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that was an awful show. But popular in New Jersey. I also have to say, too, they had a lot of kids program. First of all, I remember Channel 9 had a stretch of years where every weekend they played Clash of the Champions, that movie with uh, all the claymation and, and stuff. Every oh, Clash, Clash of the, of the Titans. Titans. Clash of the Titans. That's what I mean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. still one of my favorite movies. Clash of the day. Champions was the, of course, d- uh, the NWA, WCW wrestling on the TBS Superstation once a month. Clash of the Titans. They played it every weekend. You could watch Clash of the Titans on there. I'm still afraid of that Medusa. What else was on that? The weird um, Sunday. If you watched it on Sunday, they would have all the weird... Um, Church of Latter-day Saints, like uh, Claymation also. We, we got to talk about, we'll be talking a lot about the Church of Latter-day Saints later in this video. Okay. Episode. I feel like oh, okay. you guys are a, a, a couple years older than me where I'm not sure if you would have been aged out when this started. Do you remember Steampipe Alley? Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Mario, uh, what's his face? Cantone. Mario Cantone. Yeah, yeah. Another show I highly encourage everyone to track down. It was a children's show. Mario Cantone, probably most famously at this point known for Sex in the City, I would say. He was a pretty major supporting character in there. He is a, a out-of-the-closet homosexual comedian um, stand-up, like from the stand-up world of the, of the 90s, which was like, you know, people went hard at their jokes. And for some reason, he was hired to host this show that was him in his studio with a bunch of kids and it would be like he'd introduce an old Looney Tunes commercial. It was so great. And then they'd do a contest where like four of the kids would get pulled out of the audience and have to like go down a slip and slide covered in raspberry <laughs> jam. And then he'd come out dressed as Bette Midler and like sing a song. It's the weirdest kid show you'll ever see. Yeah, it was like totally whacked out. The other weird thing about the show is, right, you have... This comedian, Mario Cantone, and he would come out and he would do these skits, a lot of which were overtly sexual, except all the other people in the skits were children. I mean, yes. He was, he, was, he was an adult man, and there were all these like 12 and 13 year old kids in these things who I don't even, you could tell when you watch them, they weren't, they didn't even understand what was happening. No, like literally, like he clearly like wrote them himself or with a bunch of friends because there'd be like, Little kids reading off a piece of paper ended them with like allusions to going to like gay bathhouses and stuff like that. It was wild, wild. Would you guys say, because a lot of this is obviously just pure nostalgia, there's a part of me that feels like because they always announced nine broadcast plazas, Secaucus, I feel like it really did inform a lot of the lawlessness and the personalities we talk about from, from the uh, youth of our generation. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. The fact that it was made a few towns away, I think is part of what gave us permission to like drive around as teenagers going on rampages, to just explore abandoned mental hospitals, to just put ourselves in crazy situations because nine broadcast plaza alone was broadcasting what had to be the craziest shit in the entire country for years. We were a product of local television. 
That's my excuse when I go to court. I was brainwashed by TV shows in the 80s to act this way. And if the, if the, I think you're right, Chris, because if the local TV that we grew up on, so far we've got a bizarro children's sketch show with sexual references uh, on it, you know, as a main thing. You have the beginning of reality TV with Richard Bay. You have Morton Downey Jr., who's more or less you know, like one hair shy of being a Nazi and then, you know, and Howard Stern. And that was our local television station. Yeah. And then also sprinkle in. Let's also be clear, sprinkle in like roller derby where you see women like oh, that was so ripping great. each other's hair out, fist fighting and monster truck rallies. And then I also believe Channel 9 for a long time was where the Mets games were, right? And Channel 11 was the Yankees. It was the Yankees, that's right. Speaking of which, let's transition over to Channel 11 WPX. I feel like another local station with local flair, not as crazy in my opinion as Channel 9, most famous for the holiday Yule Log, I believe. And uh, was it the Saturday Night Movie? Where I think both Channel 9 and 11 both had that. Late, late movie. That's where I first saw the uh, Warriors, one of my all-time favorite flicks. Warriors. Channel 9 at like 2 in the morning when I was in a depressed insomniac high school student. <laughs> the Yule Log, of course, is just a video image of a burning log that I believe ran for 24 hours on Christmas in case you wanted to have like a fireplace vibe on your TV in your living room. Definitely. With family over. Also had a lot of interactive TV. Famously, a lot of interactive TV. Mike D, you've listed here that you used to... Um, call in and play one of their more famous games. Well, no, yes. So one of the saddest disappointments in my life that I'm still disappointed is every day after school, you would turn on WPIX Channel 11 and they would have cartoons. And then in between the cartoons, they would have this thing where they would, you could call up and they would pick a kid and they would have Space Invaders on the screen. And you would say, picks, 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 which is the call sign for Channel 11. And, and, they, and you, the, the thing would shoot, you know, the, the spaceship would shoot the aliens. And if you could say picks fast enough, you would win a prize. And every day I would call into this thing to get on because I wanted to be the kid who could do this. And I never got on. I called relentlessly oh every day God. for years. But now I think back, like, how did this work? Like if someone called up and yelled picks, was there like a man pressing the button on screen? This guy hit a button. Doing this? Definitely. What is Kung Fu Theater? I don't know that I'm familiar with Kung Fu Theater. But Kung Fu Theater would be like, um, now I'm pretty sure this is Channel I'm almost positive. Uh, Sunday afternoons was Kung Fu Theater on Channel 11. It would be all the old like Kung Fu movies, yeah. like uh... with the dubbed in voices and everything like that. And I just remember watching that. Like I would come home from church and like, watch kung fu theater and like eat me too and i mean i my love for kung fu movies still continues to this day but it definitely started watching kung fu theater and they would show the really good hong kong kung fu movies not the not the crappy ones we got in america like the full sagas you know and now this was the new york area so it's almost certain that the wu-tang clan was uh in their early formative stages i'm sure that definitely had an influence parked in front of their tvs doing the same thing definitely i know for a fact that members of the wu-tang clan used to buy bootleg kung fu movies at the same stall in Times Square that I used to buy them at because I heard I heard them talk about this stall. You could go there and get any kung fu movies, three for $10 on VHS. And they were like, real, the really good ones. Even as we talked about it, I'm sitting here going, it is really true going, there's not, and it's probably because it's the New York area that things have to be so extreme to grab your attention. But, but Jesus, man, like having all those things just pounded into our brains, just fighting and people being exploited and, and, and uh, 
all of it, all of it. I mean, Channel 9 alone, Howard Stern, Morton Dowdy, Richard Bay on the same network at the same time. And I don't know about you guys. Our TV was in our basement. <laughs> we watched all of it. If we, if we just heard my dad coming down the steps, you changed the channel. All we did was glue ourselves to that TV and watch Howard Stern, all of it. It's so funny. And like those time slots, like, you know, kind of ruled you because you're like, oh, I have to get home because I'm going to watch this. And like, and, you know what I mean? It was such like a, when the show was coming on, it was, no DVR. Yeah, it was like an event. Like, like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't wait to see like Richard Bay tonight or whatever, you know? And there was also that thing too, that connected you with other people where, because there was no DVR, it's like if Richard, you call up Richard Bay and you're like, oh man, they have like a bunch of Satanists on there about to start killing chickens. It would basically become a, a like a phone network around uh, your your circle of friends where it'd be like, I'd call you and be like, yo, are you watching this? And then you'd call <laughs> Mike D and then Mike D would call whoever. And, and you'd just make sure everybody was watching it at the same time. So crazy. It's wild. And now talking about local media, we're going to step away from TV for a second and then come back to something that has me so excited. Uh, for, I just want to give a quick shout out. There's there's a number of Jersey radio stations that deserve love, but there's two in particular that I think add to the weirdness of growing up in North Jersey in particular at the time. First of all, WFMU, uh, a, a much beloved and hailed freeform radio station, all listener funded. And growing up, it, it, when we were growing up, it was in East Orange out of Uppsala College. We were in West Orange. Yeah. So we were very aware of it. But that station was... It still is so hilariously strange. It plays a combination of like the most amazing underground music and then just the most bizarre. Like we'll literally sometimes just have a three hour block where the DJ is just playing like recordings of tin cans getting dropped from different heights. Like things like that will be aired it's with like no qualms. WFMU where you can still hear weird noises at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> really? Just anything on WFMU. I don't know how. I was really young. My brother found out about FMU when he was still in middle school. So I was listening in elementary school. Um, and I, I don't know about your guys' experiences with it, but there was so much good stuff on there. I used to like always, I was always like a big radio kid when I was little and I used to cruise like, especially the lower band because that's where all the weird stuff is. And I remember falling onto like 89.1 and it was the same thing. I, it was like a weird, it was a weird time. Like, cause I would come home when I was younger it would be like Kung Fu theater. But then when I was in like probably early high school, I remember coming home and I started listening to, I would after church on Sundays, I would turn on WFMU and there was Glenn Jones and X-Ray Burns. And it was like, ah, uh, so RIP X-Ray. Yeah. It was so like whacked out. And I used to tell Mike Deep, I was like, on Sunday, I was like, you got to listen to this show. It's like so good. Like, and I would just like, the music was always good, but it was like, I couldn't wait until they would come on and talk. And that was really the thing that got me hooked on like WFMU when I was like a, a young teenager. Right? And, and then, I mean, so now, like I, I still listen to them now. It's and just, let's be know. clear too, Jonesy and X-Ray are so Jersey. They make us look like we're from Ohio. Like they are <laughs> Jersey. Sharpling got to start there. My music taste. I, oh my God. Between yeah. Terry T and Joe Belock right there. Just Pat Duncan. Oh, forget about it. Pat Duncan. Forget it. Yeah. Thursday nights. So many great shows. I remember when when Nick first discovered FMU and he told me about it, it just blew my mind. Be we knew about a lot of that, <clears throat> excuse me, like a lot of that music, but then you would put on FMU and you're like, oh, wait, 
there's actually all these other people who are into this music and are playing this stuff. And then you had all the other weird stuff like Glenn Jones and X-Ray and just so many strange shows. You never knew what you were going to turn on. I mean, maybe this came later, but I used to really enjoy Thomas Edison's Attic where it was a guy who would yeah. go and play, you know, wax cylinders and all this really old, old format music. It's kind of an amazing thing that that exists at all. The one, it, what's weird is that like you're talking about when they transitioned from uh, Uppsala College to Jersey City. Um, I remember Ken and Andy used to do a show, and it was they did this on air race where they drove from East Orange to Jersey City to see how long it would take them to get there, and they did it like live. <laughs> like this is like you know years ago so they had like some kind of weird portable phone and they were trying to like you know broadcast and um i always listened to that show i i don't know why it was like on a weird time it was like maybe after school or something on a tuesday or wednesday i can't remember when i think they still do that show now like um you know anyway so yeah but I, it was funny because it, it would show that transition when i guess upsala college finally just like collapsed on itself and uh, WFMU became like its own, you know, entity at that point. Not that it wasn't, you know, self-supported before that, but I think at one time they definitely were, you know, associated with the college. And I only know that because my uncle was locked up for, uh, <laughs> or was on the run from the federal governments for taking over the radio station in the sixties with a group of black Panthers and barricading themselves in there until they, uh, somehow escaped. Wow. <laughs> It was participatory too. Yeah, which was right. Fan events. You could call up and actually get through. Oh, yeah. Like if you if you were calling WPIX to play the video game, you weren't getting through. If you called WFMU, there was a one in two chance that you were getting through onto the line. So many shows with just bored DJs who were happy to put a preteen on the air. Uh, speaking of which, WSOU also very big for a few reasons. First of all, death metal, round the clock like death metal, like 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 Scandinavian bands that burn churches. Uh, and a school associated with a Catholic university, Seton Hall University, just death metal, also broadcast the <laughs> basketball games, which there were a few years in our youth that Seton Hall basketball couldn't have been bigger because they went so oh far in the tournament. I mean, worshipped. Our Lady of Lord's Church, I had a friend who once told me that um, when they were in the NCAA tournament, the, the priest made everyone pray for Seton Hall to win games <laughs> in the church. And uh, I believe that, yeah. They, uh, the game's there, and they also have every, for decades, after every Seton Hall game, they have Hall Line, where you can call up and talk about the game. And so fun to listen to, so fun to prank call. And then, Mike D., you also reminded me of something that was crucial if you were a music kid in North Jersey that I don't know how many people realize this, extremely easy to win giveaways on WSOU radio. They would beg you. The DJ would be like, I, I, I have two tickets to, to Slayer at Studio One. Please, please, someone call and take these tickets, please. And uh, Or I have a, a Metallica gift pack. Please, someone call up and take this. So once, actually, I think your brother, Greg, was the person who figured this out. So we just started calling up and winning everything. And then... After a while, they were like, you know, by law, you can only win two sweepstakes a month. So we just started making up fake names. And probably 80% of the concerts we never went to. But some of them we did go to. I remember <laughs> I got tickets to see Matthew Sweet on the Girlfriend Tour. Um, 
I got tickets to see Slayer, all these really cool shows. And then we, we would call, you know, you could call up and win. Like, oh, I'm not going to buy tickets. I'm just going to call SOU and win them. I'm not even going to bother spending the money. Oh, I used to get, I used to win CDs all the time. <laughs> I would just call in and get CDs. I had like a whole collection of like death metal CDs just because I could get them. And I, I wound up giving it to one of my friends that was actually really into it, but it was they were true to their format still to today. Our friend George, who gets mentioned a lot during our tapings, he also became, if you guys remember, he became like a unquestioned master of winning things. I think he probably cut his teeth at WSAU, but I mean, Z100, K-Rock, if they had a giveaway, George was almost uh-huh. definitely going to win it. Um, so you're getting a sense, the TV the radio. And now we got to make sure that we don't talk forever because this is where it really comes into play. Here are the things that everyone who grew up when we did, here's the things you've been waiting for. It's the commercials. There's a whole, I would say two or three generations of people (laughs) who you say a certain couple phrases to them. If they grew up in New Jersey where you're three words into the jingle or the phrase and they're going to finish it. Like, I'm going to go ahead and just, let's get this one out of the way. I'm going to say the first part and I'm certain you guys will join in and everyone listening will as well. If you grew up where we did, I'm really glad they made the, the children's, children's aid, aid society. society. They help me with my homework when I'm stuck. They help me when I'm down and out of luck. <laughs> the Children's Aid Society was in I, I, right in Greenwich Village, and it was basically like an after, like a almost like a boys and girls club, and they just advertised relentlessly on WWR and WPIX. My God, every kid knows that song. Makes me really sad. Why? I don't know. When I aren't, I, aren't you really glad they made the Children's Aid? I society? am really glad they made it, but when I watch it, I feel so bad for all of us in the 80s it was every kid that grew up in the 80s we needed the children's aid society like real bad <laughs> i was once in my 20s i went to the children's aid society i've actually been inside it did they help you Be- no i wasn't a child at that point i was in my 20s i mentioned Bonnie uh, no uh an improv group that i was directing used to rent space there oh okay we were in there, out there on like the third floor one day i just thought of this i can't believe this is my only experience with the children's aid society we're in there and all of a sudden i'm like giving improv notes on some dumb improv scene you're like oh if you're gonna fucking play a robot do this and that like dumb shit all of a sudden we just hear legitimately we're like whoa and we're on the top floor i'm going there's people getting killed downstairs from us turns out it was actually outside a fucking auxiliary cop got shot on sullivan street right in front of the children's aid society it was a really crazy thing oh my god Uh, i mean like huge news and i mean it was directly in front of this window it it was a wild day i I, that was my actual experience with the children's aid society after all those years of hearing that earworm of a jingle. I thought you were going to say, and all of us, I was doing this improv class and all of a sudden I heard, I'm really glad they made the children's society. They had the whole choir downstairs practicing the floor. Oh below my you. God. Now, Mike D, a legend of the New York Metro area, you have made it clear that you really want to sink your teeth into this guy. So we're going to make sure we start with him. So we do not, uh, when we fly through, we don't, you're, 
Why do you have such a love of Crazy Eddie? Oh man, I don't even know where to start. Because his prices are insane. <laughs> his pr- I, we could talk about why his prices are insane. There's so there's so many things about Crazy Eddie to love. So starting with personally, there was a Crazy Eddie on Bloomfield Avenue when I was a kid. You'd go over to Crazy Eddie, and that's where you could buy Atari games. Right there, there weren't really standalone video game stores back then. So I loved going to Crazy Eddie because I could get, you know, the Atari baseball that talked and it was like, strike. And I mean, the the talking wasn't very good. And then maybe even more than the Children's Aid Society, the Crazy Eddie commercials were ubiquitous. They were on every radio station, Every TV Endless. channel, nonstop, and right, every Crazy Eddie commercial was this guy who you thought was Crazy Eddie, and he would be like, Crazy Eddie, our prices are insane. That wasn't Crazy Eddie? No. no, that's the sad part. So that it's so that was actually a comedian, a, a DJ um, called Jerry Carroll. And so the reason that Crazy Eddie's prices were insane is because they were committing an ongoing 15-year extremely serious <laughs> securities fraud. And they were actually committing multiple frauds simultaneously. They, they were running a long-running tax scam, and then they were skimming money out of Crazy Eddie, and then they took the money, the company public, and then they took the money they had skimmed, laundered it through Panama in something called the Panama Pump, and then they took the company public, pumped up the stock price, dumped it, and laundered the money through Israel. And that's right, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, and so Crazy Eddie and the whole Crazy Eddie family, a lot, you know, went, went to prison. And the poor guy Jerry Carroll, who was just an actor, was, <laughs> everybody. was everybody thought he was Crazy Eddie, and they committed this fraud. And the poor guy, I've seen interviews with him. He was harassed on the streets for years and years. People would see him be like. Fuck you, crazy Eddie, you crook guy, you motherfucker. And he's like, I'm just an actor. Like, I'm a guy in the commercials. He probably lived like a king off that commercial for years. You I know? think everyone involved with Crazy Eddie lived like a king. It's uh, one of the most interesting <laughs> frauds ever. <laughs> like, I, I remember going to the one up on Route 10 in uh, Livingston, like right right around the circle there. And we had the Crazy Eddies. We got to be clear. The All the commercials you're going to hear about, Children's Aid Society, Crazy Eddie. When we tell you we saw these commercials over... And over again, it cannot be stressed enough. Now, most people watch television is streaming without commercials or you DVR real TV and you can skip through the commercials. It was just hammered into our brain. Um, I'm going to mention some other things that I'm sure will jump out. Endless commercials for Dianetics, oh. uh, Scientology. Endless commercials for the Church of Latter-day Saints. The best. The Mormons. Endless religious indoctrination. Endless. I'll just go on record about uh, expressing my love for Mormons. Really? I think they are. Yeah. I've had nothing but positive interactions also. Oh. Even recently. To this day, whenever LDS people knock on my door, I invite them into my home and offer them a meal. They are a notoriously kind lot. Yes. And they're also really interesting. Let's be clear. There's certainly issues with gay conversion therapy and, you know, extremists, extremist sects that uh, live in the desert and practice polygamy and uh, many issues there, underage people. There's there's certainly some flaws, but by and large, 
really kind people. I just meant on an individual level. Absolutely. I, I just don't want to not <laughs> mention that so that people listening are, understand that we, yes, are aware that on a macro level, yes, some things to be concerned about. Now, back to New York TV. <laughs> da, 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 da. The lullaby on <laughs> Broadway. The hipparay and ballyhoo. Oh my God. The lullaby, the lullaby on Broadway. Broadway. That was the Milford Plaza, right? Yeah, at the center of it all is the Milford Plaza. Yeah. That was, now, uh, that, again, Mike D, you've researched it so well. Cocktails included when you check in there? $43. You get you a night at the Milford Plaza. That's a pretty good deal, even back then. Cocktails included. It, it is a good deal, except if you know that. Except where it was at that time. You were in Times Square in the late 80s, so your $43 may not include you living to see the next morning to enjoy your hotel. But the Milford Plaza previous to that was actually like like a spot like back in the day. Like the Milford Plaza was like a nice hotel at one point and then it just dilapidated into having to advertise on, on local, local TV television. to convince out of towners <laughs> people like us from New Jersey that we wanted to stay at the Milford Plaza. To like, oh that's the one with the girls dancing in front. We should go stay at the Milford Plaza. <laughs> right. I don't think those are the girls we saw in the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also as you guys speak about it too, a flawed advertising strategy to advertise with commercials only in the local metro area to people who already live within spitting distance of your hotel. Not really the types of people who rent hotels. It attracts a certain caliber of individual oh, for sure. Very true. You're going there for specific reasons. So many commercials for the Broadway musical Cats. I can still see the cat looking So up. many. With the catchphrase. Do you guys remember the catchphrase? Cats. Now and forever. Now and forever. At the Winter Garden Theater. At the Winter Garden. And that commercial was on for so many years. That's, a, that's how ingrained it was in my head. I don't know anything so about the ingrained. theater. So. They said the phrase cats now and forever. And it was on for so many years. You're like, it clearly is now and forever. <laughs> clearly is truly now and forever. <laughs> Well, it came back, didn't it? It did come back. It had like a a rebound before everything came down. Do you remember, because that Cats commercial was so popular, there was also a local PSA, public service announcements, done by the the cast of Cats. Do you remember this? Oh, no. An accident. An accident. The humans had an accident. And it was basically like (laughs) the Cats talking about safe driving, watching like humans have a car crash in an alley. I remember that was also on... A ton. They were like, these cats are real popular. Maybe we can use it to, to stop teenagers yeah, from drunk driving. They really speak to the youth. Redwood School, fifth grade, class trip, cats made no sense. Group of fifth graders as uh, adults in cat costumes crawl around through the seats. Very weird. It's probably like the teachers just wanted to go. Yeah, we went to like space farms. Uh, I mean, you guys went to cats. <laughs> we went to cats. Um, Went to the paper mill playhouse. Oh, yeah, the paper mill. A lot of time spent at the paper mill. Action Park, ton of commercials. Action Park's been talked about a lot. But again, we have to recognize this this stew of commercials. I'm going to say a phrase on the next one that we'll remember. Raceway Park. Raceway Park. At Raceway Park. (laughs) Come and see the alcohol-fueled funny cars. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Raceway Park. Raceway Park. <laughs> the next one that I'm wound sorry. up on the list. <laughs> I mean, you can see the cackling joy. And I just need everybody to have in your head. When people go, when outsiders go, this is so true. And it's becoming clearer and clearer to me. 
when outsiders go, why are Jersey people kind of fucked up? It's like, yeah, we were watching Howard Stern throw baloney at naked asses. And then it would cut to a commercial of people dressed like cats and then advertise a hotel that people were clearly only using for, for, uh, you know, like mistresses and, and dalliances with, with women of the night. And then another commercial, uh, with Bigfoot and a man screaming, and then back to Howard Stern. Of course, we're fucked up people, man. That being said, all you have to bring is your is love, your of, love everything. of everything. Beautiful, beautiful Mount My understanding was Mount Airy Lodge. It was in Pennsylvania. And it was like kind of like a 70s getaway from the Coke era that was just desperately trying to hang on. Like you'd go, you'd have a hot tub in your room. You could probably play some shuffleboard. Or a champagne glass. It was like people having affairs that went away for a weekend. And then it was like couples that need to get away from their kids and like go ride horses and shit. I always remembered in the commercial, they would show a hot tub that was... Uh, a 12 foot tall champagne glass yeah the champagne how were yeah. they expecting impaired people to climb up and I'm serious up and down to a 12 foot wet slippery champagne glass I bet you if you looked into it dozens of people died oh my god going in and out and of how thing. often do you think they change that water in there it's probably Never. hard to get that much water pumped up into the champagne glass I heard the I heard that the hot the heart shaped ones were hot tubs with water I heard the champagne ones they were actually heating up uh, actual champagne to hot <laughs> to hot kill levels. to kill the germs. Yes, yes. It was actually half bodily fluids. That's why it bubbled so much. Half champagne, half bodily fluids. That's correct. That is correct. <laughs> After the cast of cats went into that champagne hot tub, <laughs> they unfortunately had to drain it. It was no but good, man. Mount Airy Lodge was kind of a throwback to you think of like a low grade version of like the Playboy clubs back then, or like a sort of weird, more sexually driven version of like the Catskills Borscht Belt hotels, right? Like it was right in that weird I, mix. I always thought it was a, like a swingers thing, right? That, at least that's how it appears. It, there probably was a lot of that going on for sure. That's the vibe. My wife's dad was in advertising and she told me he was tasked. They brought his advertising um, firm in because they were like, this, this jingle, we got to move on from this jingle and find something else. And my wife actually went and stayed there one weekend with her family. Really? They had, um, they like went defunct and then they came, they had like a rebound. And then I think it's like abandoned now, isn't it? It is. It's totally abandoned. Totally abandoned. Talk to me about Cookie Puss, fellas. Carvel. Cookie Puss, what? I'm Tom Carvel. Are you having a special occasion? <laughs> a bar bat mitzvah. <laughs> Bring a cake. An ice cream cake. I'm Tom Carvel. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say three words now. This is maybe my favorite stretch we've ever recorded. It's just us throwing these things out. I can't even remember it. I'm going to go ahead and say something. Rides and attractions. Non-stop action. Shows, animals, fireworks, too. It's about the most fun thing you can do. <laughs> what are we talking here, ladies and gentlemen? The Greater Westchester County Fair. Westchester County Fair. Oh, my god! Never been to the Westchester County Fair, but holy shit, is their commercial burned into my brain. I still want to go. I, with all my heart, wish that one of our friends was here right now because he has the 
possibly the world's all-time greatest story about the commercial from the Westchester County Fair. I know, I know whom you speak of. He's a fantastic... Actually, I would say, to uh, not a Jersey guy, but lived with Mike at Rutgers, honorary Jersey um, to his core, and one of the best storytellers ever. I'm going to make a note right now to ask him to send in a voicemail yeah, of I, that story. That's so funny. I can't... In the... In the annals of storytelling, this is in the top all-time best stories. And I, I wouldn't dare try to tell this story. Maybe we'll make that a, a Patreon bonus. Patreon bonus right there. Um, ground Round. Ground Round, first of all. Oh, my gosh. Great place. Ours was on Northfield Avenue. They give you the free popcorn. They'll show you the little rascals, film projections. Oh. They had the one night a month where you only pay what you weigh. So if you, you know, you're a little kid, you weigh 90 pounds, your whole meal is a 90 cents. So your parents can bring it. They always have a clown walking around. My brother once had a uh, birthday party there. And my mom, I may have told you guys this. I don't know if I've talked about it on any of our podcasts yet, but my, uh, my mom wanted to do something nice for my brother because he had a, a notoriously tough time as a kid. And she hired a clown. And the clown did not show up. And then the ground round got a call that the clown had been in a horrific car accident on the way to my brother's birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) It's very on brand for my brother. You know what else they had there? They had that chicken in the front right by the register that I always used to want to put quarters in. They would go, forgot about that. And we give you an egg with like a fortune, right? Forgot about that. They have the fortune or it might have like a toy or like one of those parachute guys or something in it. I used to love that. Oh my God. I completely forgot about that. These commercials. uh, I want that machine. Everywhere. Now, Mike, you listed one. Here's the first one I don't remember. Reds. Remind me. Reds. Open till midnight. Reds. It was a toy store that for some bizarre reason was open till midnight. And it was again, I feel like this was on local TV all the time. And my brother and I were obsessed with watching the commercial because for part of it, they would show all these kids who I guess were, you know, the owner, the owner's family's kids. And they would all be standing in the aisle shaking toys really aggressively. And one of the kids had the, was shaking the G.I. Joe hovercraft, which I really wanted as a uh, kid. Every kid, every kid our age wanted that fucking hovercraft, man. And the aircraft carrier. So big. Mike D had that man. That we had. I would. We did have the. the it like took up a whole room USS in your house, fire. right? It did. You couldn't even. Uh, if if we wanted to play with it, I would have to help my brother climb to the other side of it because the room was so narrow. You <laughs> would just have to be like, "All right, you're on this side of it for for the rest of the time that we're playing." Now here's an absolute classic. Food Emporium, Food Emporium. Oh my gosh. Somebody made a store just for me. Food Food Emporium, Food Emporium. Drilled into our brains. We were all indoctrinated on like 11 weird businesses. I can't ever remember going to a Food Emporium. Not until... Not in my life. Only in... There's one in Union Square, right? Yeah, that was to say the only ones I've ever been oh, to are, yeah, are in New York City. I don't ever remember there being a food oh, okay. emporium in Jersey. It was like the D'Agostino commercials. Mr. D'Agostino. Love that D'Agostino. Let the dag dag bang. Mr. D'Agostino, move closer to me. <laughs> to me. Like a weird, vaguely sexual <laughs> supermarket commercial about like hooking up with the meat man. <laughs> the next one on the list. Nobody beats the whiz. Nobody, Nobody beats, the, beats whiz. the whiz. So my question about oh. this one, though, is they did they rip off Bismarcky or did Bismarcky rip off the commercial? 
it's one of the, oh Bismarck he ripped off the commercial definitely I feel like this is one of the ultimate chicken and egg scenarios of our time think so no I think Bismarck he took it from the Wiz, right? I don't know. It seems Definitely. more likely that the Wiz took it from Bismarck. That'd be my vote. I don't know. I did not look this up, and I could be completely wrong. No way. Oh. I do think Bismarck has kind of been lost to time, and most people only remember him for the Oh, baby, you got what I need song. A lot of his other stuff is really bizarre and really good. So good. Really weird. Yeah. Yeah, Bismarck is a, a hero. I would say actually a hero. I would, I would, I think he's actually one of the most bizarre creative human beings ever. This also just reminded me one that didn't make our list that I'm mad. It didn't make our list. And I only remembered cause another amazing New York rap hip hop reference Siemens furniture. Oh my gosh. All the time. See that commercial. See Siemens first. See Siemens first led to Fife dogs, classic line. I bust off on your couch. Now you got Siemens furniture. <laughs> Set on a Tribe Called Quest album. One of the funniest. Things. That's the other thing you got to remember about being in Jersey too. Like the so much pop culture is New York focused that all of these things were drilled up into us. And then you'd hear Tribe Called Quest, Bismarck, he, the Beastie Boys knew about all this stuff. You'd always see them referencing it. And we'd be like, we live on the fringes of the center of the world. And it's just so fucked up. It's just such a fucked up part of how we all became who we became. A great Beastie Boys line from a local commercial is I got more suits than Jacoby and Myers. Oh. And right. Jacoby and Myers were. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jacoby, Jacoby and Myers, Myers commercial. Oh my gosh. Oh, lo- local ambulance chasers. Have you been hurt in a car accident? <laughs> Did you get hurt at work? Call Jacoby and Myers. Did you think about falling off of a ladder might be a good idea? <laughs> Call us first. We can tell you how to do it. I just had a vision in my brain. Was it Jacoby and Myers or some other ambulance chaser that had like the the vertical scroll of fucked up things you could call them about. Oh yeah. Like, did you get burned? Did you get electrocuted? Did you get this and that? And it would just roll up the screen. Call me if you want to make money off of this. The last one is, did you grow up in New Jersey in the (laughs) eighties? Have you exercised all other options until calling us? When your bank says no. Champion says yes. Yes. At the money store <laughs> with Phil Rizzuto. My arch enemy, Phil Rizzuto. Yes, I believe you have mentioned this. I do believe you've mentioned your family's feud with Phil Rizzuto before. But in case anybody has missed that on other episodes, walk us through this, Mike T. Back in the 80s, my father was, uh, he co owned an IHOP with one of his friends. And one of the regular customers on a Sunday that used to come into the IHOP with his grandkids was Phil Rizzuto. And my father and Phil Rizzuto, for whatever, had, had friction at various times. And so Phil Rizzuto is is having IHOP Sunday breakfast with his grandkids. And at the end of the meal, Phil Rizzuto's like, can I get these uh, silver dollar pancakes that my grandkid didn't eat? I want to get them to take home. They're like, okay, sure. So Phil Rizzuto gets his silver dollar pancakes in a to-go box. And they go up to the register to pay where my dad is you know, working the register. And Phil Rizzuto takes the bill and he looks at it and he's like, what is this? What is this? You're charging me 25 cents for for a to-go container? And my father's like, yeah, we charge everyone. We have to pay for the container. We don't make any money on it. He's like, I'm not paying 25 cents for a a to-go container. I'm Phil Rizzuto. And so my father like turns 
to the entire restaurant and screams, holy shit, Phil Rizzuto's a fucking cheapskate, and, like, uses his own catchphrase against him to to insult Phil Rizzuto. Holy cow! Phil Rizzuto's a cheapskate. Now, we've got a big one to talk about. Which was New Jersey, you know, you'd put, they'd have these campaigns, try to get people excited, go visit places, local businesses, try to make sure you're staying here to vacation, maybe get the New Yorkers to come vacation at our, you know, short towns, whatever it is. New Jersey and you, perfect together. New Jersey and you, perfect together. (laughs) What is that accent that he has? With a strange, like, Connecticut affected New Jersey accent. Like, what the fuck is that? It's so strange. Where is Tom Kane from? Is it so indigenous that we don't know? Is he is is Tom Kane so like purely New Jersey? He speaks the right way, like colonial New Jerseyan. I don't know. That's like how I would imagine. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this. This is something I got to give credit to Weird New Jersey. This was something that I remember when I, there was a guy named Craig DeGroote, very very funny writer, um, and he sent an article to us. Relating to this phrase. So I have to give credit to both Weird New Jersey and Craig. Nice. Um, the phrase New Jersey perfect, New Jersey and you perfect together was, was very ubiquitous in our time. But it led to something that's very little known, which was that New Jersey briefly tried to transform this phrase into a, a mascot who you might say in many ways, this was like gritty, Philadelphia's gritty before gritty was a thing. I am talking about Perfy. Who Nick and Mike? It's it's one of the most bizarre things you've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to share an image right now. It was so popular, and we never saw him. Oh my god! Oh can, no! Can you believe what you're looking at here? It's uh, I don't know what he's supposed to be. Why is this? He almost looks like a whale who's caught in a fishing line. <laughs> Like he was swimming at the Jersey Shore and he got caught in a, a fishing line. Oh, I feel real bad for Perfy. He, ve- I very often hear, heard this, that he brings up bad feelings in people. He makes me feel sad. Looks like a de- it looks like a demented Eminem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like he's a rejected Eminem character. Uh-huh. Let me go ahead and... But poorly made out of clay. Let me go ahead and share another um, sad Perfy image with you. That one was hooked on New Jersey with him holding a... Two-dimensional fishing pole for some fishing reason. pole. Yeah, <laughs> this one is somehow even counts. sadder, I would argue, is this one, which is him holding a beach ball on the sand, and it says, sure is nice in New Jersey. Somebody got, somebody got paid to produce these, which is even scarier. Somebody got paid to stand inside that fucking costume. I don't know if that's... Is it a costume, or is it actually... It looks like... Oh, I guess I can see the crease in it. Yeah. That's a person in there. But it looks like a puppet. It's foam. It's foam. It looks like that ball stuck to his hand. That's a person. Someone someone lives with a dark secret that they were perfect. Someone's been ho- hanging on to the secret for decades. I want to find him. Well, he went straight from this to cats, I heard. That was his like, big, <laughs> this one is perfect. big move, and they could never tell where he, he got his start. Shore is nice in New Jersey. It's spelled S-H-O-R-E, as in Jersey Shore. Well done. He's holding a beach ball, but it's like a real dreary, overcast day. It's not a happy image. The surf's kind of like not like a really good shot of the beach. Like, And also that he's not holding a beach ball. I would say there's a beach ball nailed to his arm. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> it looks like it's a weapon he can shoot off at people. Oh, poor Perfy. Where do you think Perfy is now? Oh, he's shoved in a closet somewhere. Do you think the costume's still standing out there? No, it's definitely in some, it's in that guy's closet right now. That's where it is. He gets drunk at parties and runs around with it on now. How do we make Runs it up and down the Jersey Shore. 
He works at the Milford Plaza now. We have to make our own Perfy costume. Oh, we can totally make that. Who's going to wear it, though? The loser of the game yeah, tonight? I haven't come up with a game tonight, but the loser clearly has to... Oh, the loser has to dress up like that with a karaoke machine and sing 80s commercials. Oh, that's amazing. You know what we'll do? Oh. Here's what we'll do. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Instead of a game tonight, I just thought of the best idea. It looks happy there. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do live events. We've been talking about this when quarantine's over. At our quor- at our live events, we're going to get one of these costumes and someone's going to come out and sing jingles and the crowd will have to guess which one of us is in there like the masked singer. <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. I will I'll definitely wear that outfit for sure. So keep that in mind, everybody. Remember, we're going to do a live stream of the West Orange TV 36 stuff from our youth, which is humiliating. Are you sure? Because have you watched this recently? It's... Not pleasant for me in particular. Or it's, it's the least pleasant for me, I would say. You're, I, you have, <laughs> it's, one, my head is the size of a hoppity hop. <laughs> and I'm doing a bad David Letterman impression for an extended period of time. But at least you look your age. At least you're not like a chubby faced little boy. Okay. Mighty closing it out tonight. And again, everybody, future event, we will, I vow, we will make a Perfy costume. We will do a rendition of The Masked Singer, where you have to guess if it's me, my dear Bonaduce, inside singing. I have a good, a good prize for tonight. It would be this. You win a week at Young People's Day Camp. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. That's well a good prize. Now, Mighty, you mentioned the Brigantine Castle, Castle Haunted House and say that... Uh, you have a story about this. This is another one that I, I vaguely remember the Brigantine Castle Haunted House. I'm not as uh, familiar with that commercial. I must I definitely that, that. I, I feel like that was... Maybe if I saw if it. If you saw it, I bet you'd remember it. It was, it was an advertisement for, for the pier in Brigantine down at the Jersey Shore. And the big attraction there was the castle, the haunted castle that they had. And... Everyone would always say when you talk to people like, oh, that's the scariest haunted house. Like It, it has real rats in it. Um, I mean, they were under plexiglass, which <laughs> the person doesn't tell you. And it had actors and, and it was really terrifying. And when, when I was a kid, my mom had a, a friend that she grew up with who moved down the shore. And we went to we went to visit her and my brother went to, to, to stay with another friend of our family. And then my mom and her friend were like, okay, we're going to go out. So I was left with my mom's friend's teenage burnout daughter and her boyfriend, who clearly had no interest in babysitting me. And they must have been bribed or forced into this in some way. And they're like, oh, what should we do? And they're like, oh, let's go to Brigantine Castle. And so I'm probably seven. <laughs> and they bring me to this... What? Absolutely horrifying haunted house, right? Real actors, rats under the floor, guillotines, warnings, don't let children in here. And they bring me into this thing and I leave completely traumatized and I'm literally traumatized. And then what do they do after that? We go to a video store and they rent the movie Reanimator 
And then they bring me back oh, to man. their house and we watch Reanimator <laughs> on the thing. And so by the time my mom comes back, I'm completely damaged for life at this point. I've just spent the last five hours with <laughs> 80s metalheads who have brought me to a haunted castle and then. Like intentionally trying to just totally fuck with you. Yeah, force me to watch a horror movie. I'm just proud of you that you didn't throw up like Bowcraft. No, if there's motion, I'll throw up. Got it. Definitely, but. <laughs> Everybody, I really do know this is just a real nostalgic walk down memory lane on one level, but I will again stand by the idea that when you think of the fact that we were watching all this bizarre stuff, that all these weird jingles for sex hotels were pounded into our brain, that that we're watching Richard Bay and Morton Downey Jr., all of it mixes together. It adds up. It's part of why Jersey people are the way they are, especially for those of us from that sort of wandering soul generation that the world seems so fascinated by. So again, no game tonight, but we will at a future live event play the Masked Singer in a Perfy costume. I promise you that. We will have some live streams of uh, some of the stuff, both the uh, local stuff, maybe even some of these commercials so we can all analyze it together. And uh, most of all, I, uh, I thank you so much for listening. If you grew up in New Jersey, call Jacobian Byers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>